Heavenly Father, Father, it's so easy, Lord, to, to be focused in our own personal lives on other things of this world, our own problems all the time, our own needs. But Father, help us, Lord, to remember to turn our eyes upon Jesus, your Son, to look full in his wonderful face. And when we do that, Lord, we know the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And now, Father, I pray that we might see his face in the scriptures as we open thy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will take your Bibles, please, let's continue our study in the book of Esther. Would you turn to Esther chapter 4 tonight? Esther chapter 4. And a little short review before we begin reading is, as you recall, God... Uh, had the queen of Persia removed. The king had his, his wife, the queen, Vashti, removed because she disobeyed an order of his. And so her removed, he went and looked at all the beautiful women of the land, brought them before him, and then finally made a choice who would be the next queen. And of course, it was this young lady, Esther. And Esther became the queen of Persia. Of course, the king is, uh, is Xerxes, or Ahasuerus is his other name that is used. But uh, the king then, <clears throat> once he, Esther uh, was put in, in place as queen, there was a, a wicked servant of the king uh, whose name was Haman. And uh, as you recall, when we looked at, at, at who Haman was back in verse 1 of chapter 3, he was an Agagite. And if you go way back into the history of Israel, um, the, these were the uh, ones that uh, were enemies of Israel, tried to destroy them and, and fight them, and, and so... Once uh, Haman realized that there were Jews everywhere, he knew there were Jews all over the kingdom because, remember, they, they had been brought into exile from Babylon and then Persia conquered Babylon. So now they're all over Persia in all the provinces. And now the king decides to give this Haman, like make him his right-hand man. He actually gave him his signet ring and said, here, you're in charge of a lot of things. And so he, he made him prominent. And it was at that point that Haman drew up a conspiracy to trick the king into turning on the Jews so that he might put to death all the Jews anywhere, everywhere, and just annihilate them, genocide. And so uh, Haman planned to do this he went to the king and he said there's these people who are raising themselves up they don't obey your laws they don't obey the laws of persia and therefore they ought to be killed or cast out and so the king said well if you know the by the way haman actually paid the king tremendous amount of treasure 
to make this happen. He promised the king, by the way, if you let me make this, if you make this decree to kill all the Jews, I'll give you uh, all this, this gold and silver. And sure enough, the king, king bought it, bought into it. And so now the decree went out that all the Jews were going to be killed. Now, as you recall, Esther's cousin, who was her guardian as she grew up because she was an orphan, his name, uh, uh, his name here was Mordecai, or Mordecai. And he was a man that was a devout Jew. He loved his people. And so, so when we come to chapter 4, we find that Mordecai here gets word, gets the news, and a letter about what the king's new decree is. And this completely uh, just sends him into mourning. So we pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 to 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, again, this is about what Haman had done with the king and the, the plan to annihilate all the Jews. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province where the king and decree of the king the command and the decree of the king came. There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. She was comp- really, that word writhed is disturbed, upset, was greatly in, in great anguish now because she had heard what uh, the pain that Mordecai is in and what he's doing. That he's out there in the streets basically uh, mourning and screaming, crying, and uh, <clears throat> mourning something and didn't know why. She had no idea. Nobody had told Esther that this was going to happen yet, that the, that the decree had gone out to kill Jews. And she sent garments, the rest of verse 4, to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him. But he did not accept. He did not accept. Now we see what Mordecai did. The first thing he did was he clothed himself in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes, as many of you know from your studies in scriptures and from ancient times, it was used. For, we see it frequently in the Bible. But sackcloth was usually made up of rough, uncomfortable black goat skin, and and then ashes were used with it to signal. So that would be thrown over a person to give a dark look to the individual, and then ashes would be sprinkled on or laid on top of it and mixed in with it. And that was used to signify destruction and ruin. So this was the ancient way of mourning something. This was done for if a king died, if someone, someone uh, or someone in the family 
was sick and was dying or something, there was a terrible tragedy, uh, this would, would happen. Turn to Joel chapter 2 with me, if you would. Let's go to the book of Joel. Okay. And if you find Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Joel 2, verse 12. See, here's the Lord speaks to Israel about repenting of their sin. Joel chapter 2, look at verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord... Return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rent your heart. And here's the key not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not. Turn and relent and leave a a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and libation for the Lord your God. The the key phrase here that the Lord gives is verse 13. And rend your heart, not your garments. You see what the Jews were doing is when there was trouble, there was a threat many times by another nation, they would suddenly begin to act out mourning before God. But just like uh, how I love the way that Nick presented it this morning when he was talking about prayer and the hypocrites, that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they, would, they, would, uh, they would fake it all, you know, and they would put on the the outward appearance of holiness. And they would give these long public prayers and everybody, wow, they're holy. They're close to God. And when in reality, their hearts are an open sepulcher, as Jesus said. Their hearts were not uh, repentant. They were full of sin and hypocrisy. And this is what Israel was doing, and especially the Jewish leaders, that they would pretend to mourn because of the, 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 the oppression of their enemies, and they would say, oh, God, I'm sorry, we, we, you know, we, we come back to you, and it was all lip service. And they would do an outward appearance to God of covering themselves in sackcloth and ashes, <clears throat> when in reality, their heart never changed. Their heart never changed, and that is what God is pointing out here. He says, I don't want the outside. Your, your rending of the clothes, because that, that's what they used to do, is tear it. Tear their clothes and then put the sackcloth on. They'd actually rip them as a sign of, of sadness and mourning. But God's saying, that doesn't mean anything to me. What I want is your heart being torn apart in repentance. And so th- th- this is key here that we see that God is asking this from his people uh, to repent in their heart. And then, of course, you remember Jonah, right? The story of Jonah. When Jonah went to Nineveh with the message, God said, uh, 
through Jonah, let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to the mighty, to call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his wicked way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, maybe God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And so this was, this was the king of, of Nineveh, as you recall. And so when God saw this, they turned from their evil ways. They put on sackcloth and ashes, but they had a heart change at that time. They believed God. They believed that this was the God of Israel who, who was going to bring judgment. And so God relented of his judgment at that particular time on Nineveh. So we see uh, throughout Scripture uh, this sackcloth and ashes. And if you go back with me now to Esther chapter 4, we see that Mordecai is doing this very thing. He is doing it before God, but he's also doing it so that other Jews would see what see him and wonder what is going on with Mordecai. What what is he mourning about? See, the word was just starting to get out and be spread around. And notice, as as the the edict was was taken and and and, and posted in all the provinces, verse three, there that the Jews, all the Jews turned to great mourning, fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So here is a, a sign of repentance. I think this is, a, again, this is a reminder to us and to me of daily repentance, that I make sure that my heart is right before the Lord and that I'm not hiding any sin or I, there's no hypocrisy in my life before God, and that I am truly open to Him And open to, uh, my heart is open to him and that all my sin is brought before him and confessed every day so that I make sure that I I have rent my heart spiritually and and had the blood of Jesus cleanse me from that sin. And so this is a reminder what, what Mordecai is doing, I think, for each one of us to daily, you know, do inventory of our own heart. But he went out near the king's gate. Now notice verse 2. He went out as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Why is that? Well, that's because the king didn't want any sadness around him. The king didn't want anybody mourning or, or, or sad or crying or putting the the sackcloth on and ashes. So basically he says, hey, nobody's, nobody's coming in like that. We're going to have, and pretty much he just made sure that everybody in his palace was happy. Everybody in his palace was, they'd have feasts and everything. Everybody had to have a good time. But no way was he going to let someone like Mordecai in to, uh, to ruin things, the spirit of things, and bring sadness. And so Esther wondered, what's going on here? And her heart began to ache for Mordecai. And so look with me now at verse 5. Then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn 
what this was and why it was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasure, treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa. That's where they were living. That's the capital of Persia here. Uh, issued in Susa for their destruction. That he might show Esther and inform her and order her to go in to the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. To plead with him for her people. And so, Hathak, verse 9, came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. And this was the response that Esther had to send back to Mordecai once she heard this. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who was not summoned, he has but one law, and that be, and that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these thirty days. For thirty days, she has not even seen the king. He's not called her into his presence. So Mordecai sends the word back to Hamak from uh, uh, to uh, Esther. He gets the word. Uh, he carries the word back to Esther from Hamak here that we have the uh, the the eunuch here carrying the message, and, and Esther is supposed to go into the king and say, "Wait a minute." Um, these people, these Jews, uh, you can't, you can't k- kill them. And then it would be revealed that she was a Jew. And she knew that if she had, had on her own gone into the presence of the king, she probably would have been put to death because that was the law of the land. You didn't come. It's like going to the White House unless you were summoned. Unless the White House called you and said, yeah, you can come in for a visit. But can you imagine if you were called, if you just walked into the White House, burst into the Oval Office? I wonder what the CIA would do. Yeah, I, think, I don't think they'd be too pleased. I don't know if they'd shoot you on the spot. But here we have this situation. Esther's faith now is being put to the test. Esther's faith put to the test. Will she, at this point, be willing to put her life on the line and identify herself with her people and with the Jewish nation? See, it's all about her identity. Here she had the best of life. Things were going great. She was still, she had hidden her, uh, the secret that she was a Jew, and so she was 
living the life of a queen. But now all that would change in a second if she walked into the king and says, wait a minute, stop the presses, stop, you can't kill the Jews, I'm one of them. And so Mordecai is laying this out. And, and Esther sends back the, this word to Mordecai, I'm sorry, there's no way I can do this. See, she had to make a choice whether or not she's going to identify herself as a Jew at this point and risk her life. And I think the, the, per, the, the, the personal application here for all of us, for me, is that am I willing to be identified in front of the world as a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to, to stand up in the world and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. There is one Savior, one Lord, one God, and in, he is the only way to salvation. Am I willing to take a stand like that today and identify myself with Christ publicly? Oh, we do it when we come to church. You know, it's nice and cozy and comfy here, right? Sunday mornings and other, other ministries we have. and We come here and, and we're all of like faith. But when, is, when we're out there, when we're out there, and we're put to the test, and somebody is, uh, it, it, the, the world is, is uh, basically cursing Jesus, and they are cursing the Christian, and you're in a, maybe perhaps a workplace, or you used to be in a workplace, because many of you are retired, but you used to be in a workplace where perhaps you heard uh, of, of those who did not know Christ, how they maligned Christians, and perhaps maligned you. Well, as you took a stand for Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Paul speaks of our identity in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1 as he writes to the church at Ephesus. So if you look at Ephesians 1, pick it up at verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. <clears throat> Paul writes... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, high, in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And if we are to be blameless and holy, by the way, before him, that means I am to be holy and blameless before the world when they look at my life. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. You and I have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High through Christ to the praise and the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, in Christ with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, 
the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth. In him, Jesus Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word predestined again, chosen before the foundation of the world, God ordained it, predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You see, Paul is trying to explain to the church, saying, do you realize who you are? Do you realize what Jesus Christ did for you? He had, God adopted you because of your faith in Christ. He adopted you, redeemed you. He had chosen you before the foundation of the world to be his very own. And so if we are children of God, and Christ has sacrificed himself on that cross for my sins, and through his shed blood, I am redeemed and set apart into the family of God, then I need to identify myself before this wicked world of who I am and not try and just mingle in. It's so easy for us to kind of just fit in fit into the world around us and with the things we do, the way we act, uh, the entertainment and other things, it's so easy to, uh, so that people can look at our life and we don't stand out. There's nothing that sets us apart by the world and and they would never know. It's because many times I think we get to feel like Esther where we we think, yeah, but if, if I start talking about Jesus to my family or to where I work or to other places, um, man, I don't know what's going to happen to me. They're going to turn on me. I could lose family members. I could lose, I lose my job. And there are all kinds of things that could happen negatively for identifying ourselves with Christ. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. But th- I think this is uh, a message for all of us tonight. The question is, Am I willing to identify myself with Christ before the world? So turn back with me, if you would, to Esther chapter 4. And so she sent the word back to Mordecai, said, no, I'm sorry, this is not, I'm not I don't think I'm going to take that chance. Look now at verse 12 together. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. In other words, you you have it nice and cozy up there, but don't think that this is not going to fall on you as well because you're a Jew. For if you remain silent, verse 14, here's the, I think verse 14 too is the key, the key theme verse to the whole story of Esther. Mordecai says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. Basically, he's saying, again, God's name is not mentioned here, but if he's saying there's another way there, there's, if you don't stand up for, for, for our people in the position you, God has given you, 
Well, God will make another way, but, but you're no doubt going to perish because nothing will, be, will change about this edict. But God will find a way to, to you know, save his people somehow, some way, or most of his people. And so he's getting this across to her. And then he goes on in verse 14. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Who knows, he says to her, whether you have not obtained, attained royalty for such a time as this. In other words, he's saying, have you not been chosen by God? Put in this position for such a time as this when your people need you? And you need to take a stand. You need to take a stand for God and for, for his people. Now's the time. There's a reason. He's basically saying, Esther, don't you see it? There's a reason why you are where you are. God has positioned you in this place for a purpose. <clears throat> and what I like to think of, the wonderful truth Just as God placed Esther in a place of prominence so that he might use her. Of course, he had to get a hold of her heart and and have her fear removed so that she might be able to have the boldness to take the stand. But Esther is no different than you and I. But each one of us here tonight have been chosen by God just like Esther. And you have been placed right where you are for a purpose, an eternal purpose for God's will and God's glory. His eternal purpose, his plan includes you. And he wants you and I to continue to be used of him in taking a stand today in the position that we're all given. Your position is different than mine. And we may all go, well, I can't. You know, I, I can't do much for God or for the Lord right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up in age and, and basically I'm in retirement and uh, I've pretty much, you know, I'm just going to, you know, live my days out nice and quiet. But God has a ministry for each and every one of you, no matter what your age is, no matter how far along you've been in your, in your walk of faith with the Lord. He has a plan and purpose for you now to to glorify him. And I know many of you are already doing this. You're glorifying him. You're wearing your faith on your sleeve, and you have done that. Come what may, many of you have, have, by your lifestyle and by your words, you have let the world know that you belong to Christ, and he is your king. And how beautiful it is when we see uh, another believer in our in our fellowship here who suddenly takes a stand for Jesus and suddenly they are not ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of who he is and oh I pray that the Lord might give me that boldness the boldness that we need that I need to say I'm identified with the Lord Jesus Christ I belong to him We don't have time to turn to it, but Hebrews chapter 11, the, you know, that we call it the uh, chapter of faith, 
But we read concerning Moses, if you recall, this is what the Hebrew, uh, the writer of Hebrews said about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Same kind of thing as Esther. Moses was put in Pharaoh's palace, and he could have stayed there in the comfort of it all. But no, what had happened to him? God got a hold of his heart, and he was willing to take a stand for God's people, for his people. And he goes on, he considered the reproach of Christ far greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What reward? In heaven. By faith, he left Egypt, giving it all up, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he, Moses, endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses did the opposite of Esther. Moses took the stand and says, I am a Jew and I'm, and, and I'm going to stand with my people. And he fled Egypt. And he he stood up against the king and gave it all up for the sake of the God of Israel. And so here is a beautiful example. Moses is a beautiful example of us taking a stand, identifying with Christ. How important it is. Here he is a perfect example. So what happens to Esther? Turn back with me again to chapter 4. Here, look at verse 4 again. And... uh, Look at Esther's response. So he sends that, at the end of verse 14, that message. Perhaps you have been put here for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Verse 16. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not drink or eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. In other words, she's saying, tell the Jews to pray for me because I've had a change of heart. She says, and thus I will go in to the king, which is not according to the law. And here it is, end of verse 16. And if I perish... I perish. In other words, I'm going to see the king now. Yep, God's got a hold of my heart. I'm going to take a stand with my people. I'm going to reveal who I am. And if I die, I die. But I'm going to do it for my God and for my people. She had a change of heart. And suddenly she was willing to lay her life down for us. And what a picture she now is of Christ for, for us. When Christ came from heaven to earth and he took on the form of flesh, he humbled himself as a servant, being willing to die to go to the cross and suffer and suffer death and carry our sins upon himself for you and for me. He was willing to do that. What a beautiful picture of Christ. But now she is doing what Moses had done. She's saying... Pray for me. And if I perish, I perish. Verse 17. So Mordecai went, went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. 
he ran around and told all the other Jews, start praying for Esther because she is going to tell the king. In 1858, uh, there was a certain pastor called Pastor Ting. And uh, he was a farmer, a farmer pastor, had a little church. But as he was working in the field, his, his garment got caught from, on his arm, got caught in a machine for shelling corn, which was being pulled by his mule. His arm was pulled in to the machine and got mangled, so much so that they had to amputate his arm. Well, once they amputated his arm, he began to fail. His health began to fail even quicker. And so he knew he was dying. He didn't have much time left. The doctors told him it could be any day now, but he was still able to talk. And so someone from his church was by his bedside and asked Pastor Tang, said to him, what, what message do you want me to take back to your congregation? And this is what he said. He said, let us all stand up for Jesus. That was his last wish, to tell the congregation, let us all stand up for Jesus. Nothing else, but stand up for Jesus. Well, there was a neighboring pastor who heard about that statement as that pastor then finally went to glory. And he couldn't get those words out of his mind. That that week he sat down and he began to write. The next Sunday morning, he got up in front of his congregation. And with his sermon, he shared the words, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. His name was George Duffield, and he wrote that hymn. Speaking of hymns, Denny, here's one that a man was, that wrote, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, because of this pastor who was dying with his last dying wish. He said, I wish my people would stand up for Jesus. Oh, that that might be said of us, that we might stand for Jesus at all costs, just like Esther was willing to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, once again, getting hold of our minds and hearts, Lord, to understand how crucial it is that we who've been chosen before the foundation of the world and set apart and saved by the blood of Christ, that we as your children might take a stand for Jesus in these last days. And Father, help us to be bold, even if it were to cost us our life. Father, help us to realize that you have placed each one of us, Lord, in the position we are in this day for a purpose, an eternal purpose, and that is to glorify you and to glorify Jesus Christ through our witness, our testimony, and our way of life. And we know that you will receive the honor and the praise as we can only do it through your power and your strength that you give us. Help us to do that this week, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.